0: hello and welcome back to nomads you and I unlike most other world religions one of the clearest truths presented in Scripture is that Christianity is not one path among many toward being united with God Jesus Christ adamantly claims in John 14: 6 I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father but through me unquote you see Jesus did not say he was one way to the father but that he is the way to the Father. Jesus did not say he was one of many sources of divine truth, but that he is the source of truth, the final say that trumps all other voices. So what objective evidence is there that Christianity is the one true religion? A number of years ago, Peter W. Stoner and Robert C. Newman wrote a book entitled Science Speaks. The book was based on the science of probability, and it set out the odds of any one man in all of history fulfilling even only eight of the 60 major prophecies that were fulfilled by the life of Christ. The probability that Jesus of Nazareth, the founder of Christianity, could have fulfilled even eight, Eight such prophecies would only be 1 in 10 to the 17th power. I mean, that's one in a number that ends in 17 zeros. And so thousands and thousands of years ago, prophecies were made, prophecies that are confirmed to be thousands of years before Christ's life by archaeology. And within those ancient, ancient writings, it was predicted such things as... In Micah 5.2, that the Messiah would be born in the city of Bethlehem. Hosea 11.1 predicted that there would be a flight into Egypt. Genesis 49.10 predicted that the Messiah would be of the tribe of Judah. Isaiah 9.1 and 2 predicted the ministry that occurred in Galilee. Zechariah 9.9 predicted the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Psalms 41.9 predicted that the Messiah would be betrayed by a friend. Zechariah is very specific when it, in chapter 11, verse 12, predicts that he would be betrayed for exactly 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11.13 says that the money would be used to buy a potter's field. The rejection of the Messiah by the Jews was no surprise to our Father. It was predicted in Isaiah 53 verse 3. Isaiah 50 verse 6 predicted that the Messiah would be smitten and spat upon. Isaiah 53 12 predicted that the Messiah would be crucified with robbers. Psalms 22:16 predicted the hands and the feet of the Messiah would be pierced. Psalms 34.20, though, predicts that none of the Messiah's bones would be broken. Psalms 22.18 predicted that lots would be cast for the clothes of the one crucified. Psalms 69.21 predicted that the one crucified would be given vinegar to drink. Isaiah 53.9 predicted that the Messiah would be buried in a tomb of a rich man. Psalm 1610 predicted his resurrection and Psalm 6818 predicted the Messiah's ascension. And every one of those verses I just shared, there is scripture references that show exactly where those predictions were fulfilled in the New Testament. And what I've just read are just a handful of over 60 major prophecies that were written thousands of years before Jesus Christ fulfilled everyone. And of course, many of these could never be manipulated. One has no control over the city of one's birth, the tribe of one's birth, and the events that are happening when one is crucified to a cross. From the first prediction of the Christ in the third chapter of Genesis, verse 15, we begin to see God's promise to help us battle and overcome victoriously the enemy of our souls through the he in this verse who is prophesied to crush the head of the deceiver. This is only the first of many reasons why we need Christ. In Peter Wilson's lesson entitled, Why We Need Christ, from his book, Indestructible Foundations, this preacher eloquently points out that you and I need Christ because we need, first of all, an object of worship. We need a sacrifice for sin, an example of manhood and leadership, a friend, a hope, a purpose in life, freedom, an abundant life. We need peace and we need health. Jesus Christ is called our advocate in 1 John 2, 1 because he strongly supports us. Because of his power, he is called almighty in Revelation 1, 8 and Matthew 28, 18. Jesus is called the bread of life in John 6, 35 and 48 because he sustains us spiritually. Our Lord is called our bridegroom in Matthew 9, 15 because of his intimate relationship with the church. And he's called the Good Shepherd in John ten, eleven, and fourteen for his tender care over each of our souls. He is the creator in John one three and the deliverer in Romans eleven twenty six, who rescues us from sin. He refers to himself as the gate in John ten nine because it is through him that we enter our relationship with the Father and eventually a home in heaven. Jesus is our high priest, according to Hebrews 2.17, for he makes intercession for us to the Father. He is our hope, 1 Timothy 1.1, for without his sacrifice, we could not live in expectation of a heavenly reward. When Jesus is called the Lamb of God in John 1.29, it represented his being sacrificed for the forgiveness of our sins. He is called the light of the world in John 8:12 because he gives us clear direction, lighting our way. Jesus is our rock, says 1 Corinthians 10:4, for he brings to us stability and protection. John describes Jesus as the true vine in John 15:1 because it is he who makes our lives truly fruitful and productive. And finally, He is called the way in John 14, 6, because there is no other way to go to heaven except through Jesus Christ. Jesus is undeniably the Son of God, and during his ministry, he taught the world's most invaluable truths, including the most important question in your and my life, that being, what must I do to prepare to meet God and experience a joyful eternity. Good question. How does one become a Christian? Well, Jesus Christ said in Mark sixteen sixteen, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned, unquote. So you see, it's very simple. It's almost as simple as 1 plus 1 equals 2. Again, Jesus says, "He who believes, there's one, and there's our plus, has been baptized, there's the other thing, shall be equals saved. One plus one equals two, and he that believes and has been baptized shall be saved. Belief plus baptism equals salvation, according to Jesus Christ in Mark 16:16. 16, 16. How does one become a Christian? Another place that question is answered is in Acts 2, verse 36 through 41. This answer was first spoken to the very people who had actually crucified Jesus and then were later convicted and realized what they had done and asked, what shall we do? Here was the answer from the inspired apostles. Quote, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." Note here that they were not told merely to believe in order to obtain the forgiveness of sins. They were not told merely to be baptized. They were told, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It does not say here as an outward sign of an inward grace, a phrase you could look up in a concordance to see it is not found in the Scriptures. What the inspired apostle says here, again, is repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The apostle goes on to say, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. This promise of forgiveness of sins is for the people he was immediately speaking to and for all who are far off. So we are far off here in the United States of America, well over 2,000 years from when this statement was first made. But this promise is for us as well. God's undeserved love, grace, and mercy does its work through His chosen plan. As seen in the passages we've just talked about, his plan is that we take to heart and fully believe and trust his plan to save us, including the repenting of our sins, confessing our belief in his using the blood of Christ to completely atone for our sins, and to be born again at our baptism into Christ. As we've traveled around the country, it's been interesting asking people about the reasoning process and the challenges that they remember that led up to their own decision to embrace Christianity. My journey started early in life. I grew up around a lot of adults who were having Bible classes with people of all kinds of religions. So, It was an environment where the question was always being asked, what does God say on this topic or that? And what do we need to do to align our thinking with His? So that was the attitude that I was around. I remember I was given a King James Version of a children's Bible when I was maybe around the fourth grade and just really wanting to read it cover to cover right off the bat to enjoy the process of highlighting whatever struck me. And as I entered my early teens, my mother made me promise not to assume all of her conclusions were correct but that i would need to humbly and honestly read for myself the scriptures Believe and obey them so that I would be prepared to look God in the face at the resurrection and be able to give an account to Him for what I believe and teach. She did not want me to assume that she had come to the correct conclusions without me examining word by word what God has written for myself. I was baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of my sins when I was 14, and I love this work being at the grassroots of the only only answer that solves every social, relational, and spiritual problem we will ever face. The joys of being in a relationship with Christ are vast and innumerable. Some of the elements that have meant the most to me has been an expectation of eternal life instead of eternal damnation. I think the peace that I have with my mortality, as much as I love my life, is a very, very rare thing and is only a result of God's promise of eternal life for those who love him. Also very much at the top of my joys of being a Christian is the intimacy I have with God that's beyond any other relational capacity. I enjoy the peace of his omnipresence. I'm never alone. I appreciate more optimism and hope in life as I live in the green pastures that he has prepared for me. I enjoy freedom of every kind insight at every turn of how life really works. I love the direction that I have in Christ for how I should use my sacred time and what a privilege it's been to be a part of the most meaningful mission on earth. I have loved the enlightenment of what is real in this dark deceptive world. I don't know what I would do without the clarity that the scriptures give me when I am in the presence of what I know to be cultural lies. I have enjoyed the opportunity to bear good, beneficial fruit. I have loved knowing how to give and receive love in beautiful ways through Christ Jesus. As a Christian, I have loved learning and growing continually and understanding what is valuable to what degree and what is not. And I attribute Christianity for the mental and physical health that I enjoy to this day. There is a lot of value in such things as how the moral standard of Christianity prevents a lot of unnecessary pain in life, how great it works in marriage and raising children, having peace in one's church family, etc. Those examples are all sermons in and of themselves. For the believers that are listening, I'd like to conclude with this. Have you ever thought about your own weaknesses and considered where the natural consequences of those weaknesses would have brought you to this day had you not made Christ your Lord. I hate to even think about it. I would have been a train wreck without the wisdom of God. That's for sure. So let's you and I, before we go to sleep tonight, thank God from the bottom of our hearts for sparing all that might have been without his rescue. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. God bless.